Thank you. Well, good morning, Kings. It is so great to be here. I know it sounds like a bit of a kind of cliche, but um, I really mean it. On behalf of Josie and my three, my three girls, we feel deeply um, moved and grateful that this isn't a corporation, but this is a family. Amen? That doesn't just happen. And uh, we feel God has like supernaturally woven our hearts with you guys just so quickly. Thank you for all of your texts, your invites to dinner. My, my belly is, is growing and uh, we're just loving being part of Norwich. It's, it's fantastic. So thank you. If you have a Bible, could you grab it and turn to the mighty book of James? Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> if you don't know much about James... Man, he's had his, his triple espresso, this guy. You know, when he writes, this is high-octane stuff, okay? So I don't know if you're kind of you're feeling a bit sleepy this morning. James, of almost more than any book, you know, it will get your pulse racing, right? It's a, it's a kind of a dramatic book. So uh, we're going to read James chapter 2, carrying on our series. And uh, from verse 14, my lovely wife Josie is going to read the scripture for us. 14 to the end of the chapter, and we'll be reading from the NIV. Hi, guys. Okay, James 2, verse 14 to 25. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and Mm. shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Thanks, Josie. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we, we love you. We need you. We, we just celebrate that you are so kind to us. Uh, but you also want us to change. And I pray now in the next few minutes that your word would go to work in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we confess our weakness and our proneness 
to wander and to stumble, we just confess our weakness. We confess it. We boast in it. We need you, precious Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a confession right from the beginning, and this might be just me and my own baggage. Uh, I have quite a mixed emotional reaction to the book of James. Now, please, Lord, I know it's Holy Scripture, so Father, don't strike me down. But um, at one, one level, I read it, and I, it's hard to argue with, right? It's, it's hard to argue. He's just, you know, this guy is really in our faces in love, but he's really, and another thing, and, and you know, it feels like this kind of like, you know, he's using really dramatic language, isn't he? Is it just me? Maybe we get over-familiar with it, but it's, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith? And on he goes, you know. Your faith is, is useless, he says. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's not great. And, and at one level, you read this, you think, yeah, do you know, I know, you're, you're right, James, that the Christian world should be filled with people who are more bothered about the poor. We should be more practically involved. We should be. You know, it's hard to argue with this guy when he talks about, really, in this whole passage, the thread throughout it really is obedience. Obedience with the poor, or courage and obedience, like with Rahab, or with Abraham. Obedience, even when it's incredibly mysterious and God's asking you to do something crazy. So at one level, I feel genuinely like convicted and like, yes, James, you are, you are right. The world has been telling the church for so long, stop doing this and start helping, right? And that's what James is saying. So at one level, I think, gosh, James, you are really, this is true. The other, there's another part of me. If I'm honest, I just feel quite heavy. I just feel like I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I, honestly, I'll be totally honest with you. I do suffer from anxiety. Um, and uh, sort of, if you suffer from anxiety, one of the things that kind of thinks going on beneath the surface thing that is presenting, or oh, that meeting I'm worried about or whatever, really at the deepest level is this core thing of like, am I actually safe with God? Really? And, and, and you're kind of, and I found my life, I've been trying to console myself that the gospel tells me I'm safe. <laughs> you know, it is finished. Oh, thank God. You know, Jesus has done it. He's the hero. He was the perfect one. He's died and he's come back, right? So I'm safe, okay? I can believe it. And it's taken me years of sort of slowly believing. And then I read James. <laughs> and in a heartbeat, all of that sort of fragile sense of security and like, I think I'm safe can get unraveled, right? Because he's just, he kind of confirms all of my worst nightmares, which is unless I'm kind of pouring my life out for the poor and giving my clothes up for the poor and just generally like Rahab, who was this sort of superstar woman, or like Abraham, who sort of took his son up the mountain. To, I mean, thanks, James. You know, he's offering these extraordinarily pressure-inducing examples. And maybe you're all just like, I don't, get, I don't see what the problem is on. But for me, I, f- I feel the older I get, in some ways, the more fragile and weak I feel, actually. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I believe in Jesus with all my heart more than ever. But the, I, the Tom, the Tom I see, I'm more aware the older I am of how fragile I really am. It's not like false humility. So 
So I have this strange sort of internal reaction to James is what I'm trying to say. At one level, I feel, yes, we need to hear this. And then the other thing is just like, oh, I just don't know. Like, you know. Just even trying to get myself through a day and stay a Christian, you know, is, <laughs> it's not an easy task in many ways. But I do want to rise up. I don't want that other voice to win. Amen? I do, there is still part of me that's like, I feel like Bilbo. I feel like Frodo. I feel weak. I don't feel like I can take the ring. I've got the wrong guy. But there is still a part of me that says, but actually, I want to I wanna, I wanna believe that even someone as fragile as Tom, in all of my real weakness, can actually still please you, Father. And, and the good news is, is that although it's not always that obvious with James, James is actually, yes, it is challenging, but it is also just beautifully, um, there's all these beautiful like jewels of grace. Say grace. There really are. He doesn't sort of linger over them a lot. He bombs back to challenge again. But there's grace and hope, these jewels of kindness for those of us who feel at times a bit weak and, and brokenhearted. And so I want to look at the life of Abraham. We can't look at all three of those examples. We're going to zoom in on him because in his test, and if you don't know this story, it, <laughs> woo, it's a crazy one. Just to warn you, I mean, maybe you've got used to it, but this, this is honestly true. There's an old guy called Abraham and his wife. They wait 25 years, right over the age of 100, for this child that God miraculously gives them. And then God says, when, when Isaac's probably 10 or 15, we don't exactly know, you now need to take Isaac to a mountain and end his life. Okay, before I say anything else, for the record, in my humble opinion, this is a one-off. It's an extraordinary picture, ultimately, of Christ at, at cross and the Father, I don't, just so that we, there's no liability here, none of us is saying, you should have, I think God's telling me to do that now with my child, okay? So at one level, it's very unique, but at another level, the principle of what is he, his radical obedience of letting go of something that he loved. Now that, that really is applicable to every single man, woman, and child who's breathing in this room. He was radically obedient to letting go of something he dearly loved. And right today, in a room this size, there will be dozens of you who right now are just realizing that Lord is calling you to a kind of obedience that really we could perhaps summarize it as just mysterious. The challenge of obedience amidst mystery. When you are being called to let go, in some ways, of perhaps it's your health. Perhaps as you get older, it's your children growing up and you're needing to let go of what felt like some semblance of control. Maybe it's that, that role you used to have in church or in your business. Maybe it's just a, a sense of power. And as you get older, actually more and more, there's this holy, 
mysterious invitation to let go of that which you love. That is the core, I think, principle we can look at. And the the million-dollar question then I think we've got to ask ourselves is, if you in any way resonate with Tom's weakness, how on earth did Abraham do it and how is James expecting us to do it? And here's the really brilliant news that we find in the text. It wasn't just that Abraham was a bit of a rock star and he tried really hard. Can I have a hallelujah? It was that there was God-empowered obedience at work. Can we say that phrase just together after three? One, two, three. God-empowered obedience at work. And I think there's kind of three ways that we see here this obedience, this God-empowered obedience kind of working itself out. We'll just look at briefly, and then we'll, we'll come back to worship. I think, with number one, with Abraham's faith, or you could summarize, summarize it as his kind of thought life. There was something of God going on in that man, in his thought life, that was extraordinary. Number two, in Abraham's actions. So not just his internal realm, but his external physical realm as well. God empowered obedience in terms of his faith, his actions. And finally, Abraham's friend. We see that reference to this friendship that we mustn't gloss over. Okay? So how do we do it, Tom? How do I learn to have my equivalent of this holy letting go as I walk through life? How do I do it? The first encouragement we see is in the realm of his faith. It says here in verse 2, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And then the next verse, it says, Abraham believed God. So in simple terms, faith or belief, thinking the internal realm of this Christian guy, despite exteriorly an, an incredibly difficult mysterious moment as he is walking with his son on that lonely mountain to do something absolutely heartbreaking. The first key is that the Christian God, even when you are in those times of real mystery and difficulty, the Christian God promises to be profoundly at work in and through your thought life. Hallelujah. He promises, even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. Ah, with me, your rod and your staff, they they comfort me. In fact, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. But that feast, that is real. The first point is that God promises, oh Christian, even though we will walk through those times, those mysterious times, which are confusing and mysterious and hard, the first promise that we see here is that his faith, his inner life, his thinking, his rational way of approaching reality was absolutely drenched and saturated with the living God. And actually, isn't it true that so often, you know, you hear awful news about a friend of yours or somewhere in church. Maybe there's a bereavement or there's illness or there's financial loss. 
And you go over, and you go, oh, I'm so sorry to hear what happened. And isn't it true that although there is obvious challenge and pain, so often we are met with, it's incredibly hard. But you know what? Somehow, you know, thanks for asking. I'm, I'm okay. It's awful. But I'm, I'm somehow strangely more okay than I would imagine. Isn't that true? That's actually a very consistent pattern of the living God. Because what we see here in Abraham is true for you and me. So here in James, he just calls it faith, okay? Mr. Understated. If you've got an ESV, it says his faith was active. So think of like a very active seven-year-old boy or something, you know? Yeah, he's, he's very active, you know? So even though Abraham's this old guy, oh, come on, Sarah. Actually, no, Sarah wasn't there, was she? Come on, Isaac. And he's in this moment of intense challenge and weakness. The picture that James wants us to have is that inside, his inner life was, was, was mysteriously and supernaturally alive, active, with anything but despair. You know, I love the psychological term that's very hip nowadays, catastrophizing. Isn't that a great word? I love that word. That is Tom Shaw, (laughs) top of the list. You know, I am a Fraser Crane. You know, I get panicky about everything. You know, humanly, I'm a fearful creature. And actually, with good reason. This world is pretty dangerous for fragile people like us. It's not crazy to be someone who suffers from anxiety at times. It's actually quite logical, right? So humanly, we're like that. But what you see in this old guy, it tells us, turn with me to Hebrews. This is breathtaking. It gives us a sneak peek as to actually what was happening in his thinking in this moment of honestly, almost like trauma. What was happening? Look what it says. Verse uh, 19, Abraham, (laughs) with a straight face, the writer of the Hebrew says this, reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So he literally, he wasn't, he wasn't drenched in despair. His thought life, he actually reasoned somehow that even if I take my son through with this and it happens, somehow, I don't know how, may, oh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe God's going to raise him from the dead. I mean, this is extraordinary. And, and the obvious follow-up question is like, well, how on earth did Abraham have that kind of thought life in this moment of great darkness? And Ephesians 2 tells us, and you probably know it off by heart, it tells us about the very nature of this faith. Look at it. It says here, for it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that Abraham has been saved. Through faith, there it is, this active extraordinary thing. And this is not from yourselves. It's not Abraham's temperament just to be really positive when he's taking his son up the mountain. It's not down to your temperament. Hallelujah. Whatever personality test we've done, it is not down to your temperament when you are facing the letting go of something that you love. No, no, it's not that. It is not, uh, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you see, we have this amazing picture. You know, we often hear about Sarah, this elderly lady who gets pregnant, right? She's this big bump. There she is. 
pregnant, beautiful picture, and it's true. But what is equally true is that Abraham supernaturally was pregnant with this extraordinary supernatural faith. Do you see? They're both pregnant. They're both like, I don't understand where this baby's coming from. And, and you can almost imagine Abraham, like, I don't understand how I'm so calm. This is every parent's worst nightmare. Why is this God doing this? And friends, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you will know some sense of the mystery of the Christian God. Amen? Amen? It's comforting to know people around you feel that. We don't have to pretend that just because of Jesus, everything now makes sense. It doesn't. There's so much mystery. So the first lesson we see here is that Abraham's faith, this is a God-empowered obedience. He had a baby of faith. And friends, even though you will be at times, and I have walked through the last six years, you know, it says, doesn't it, in one of the books, it says, there's, if there was too, there's so many other things that Jesus did, but we don't have enough books in the world to tell you, right? If we had like six months to talk, I could tell you about the last six years. It has had its highs and it's had its lows. And outwardly, there have been so many mysterious moments. Pain, very, very, very painful moments. And I cannot pretend that I have always sort of like Buzz Lightyear, you know, sailed through it. But this is, this is true, is that the Lord, he has been at work. It is true to say, he has been at work in my thought life by the very power that raised Christ from the dead. And the thoughts of despair and the thoughts of catastrophizing and the thoughts of, well, if this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. And we see Abraham's life early in his life. He totally does it. But now in his, his older years, he is a renewed man. You know, when Don comes up here, where's Don? I love you, Don. And Don's like, I'll be honest with you. The operation on my knee hasn't gone so well. I'm in real pain. That's mystery. But then he says, but the real win the real victory is in my mind. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. As Christians, Josie and I, we're passionate about mental health. We're passionate about the church saying, no, we have something to say on this. We don't outsource this. We, we get involved. <clears throat> we all suffer, whatever terms you want to call it, at times, from tremendous darkness and, 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 and melancholy it, to be on this earth at such times of evil and pain and sin and suffering, you, you'd have to be a robot not to. Let's just get shame out of the room, hallelujah, and say, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. My faith, my, my inner life is slowly growing. I had this moment just recently where I was in, a, I was in central London and, and there was a, a big meal going on. I suddenly realized it was going to be a very expensive meal going on, and there was an awful lot of people, a lot of small children, a lot, and we were suddenly kind of responsible for this. And I could feel this rising panic. <laughs> you know, I'm exhausted. I feel over-responsible. I, I don't even know London. And then I just felt almost like this voice, like, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. That's why we sing that song where we talk to ourselves, oh my soul, we talk to ourselves. That's what David, I talked to him, Tom, 
Your Father has got you. Hallelujah. My peace, I leave with you. Tom, his peace is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hallelujah. The first step then in God-empowered obedience is in the realm of faith or the inner. But what we see is the great news carries on. Because then what we also see is that the second secret that Abraham had was was God-empowered actions. Now, this is massive. It's just as big as the first point. Because many of us think that, we don't realize this, but we think Christianity is having about these right beliefs. And of course, it partly is, right? And we think, and we think, and we think, and we think, and it's good to think. I'm not against thinking. But we forget the other leg of the Christian walk, which is called action. And it says here about him is that his faith and his action were working together. It wasn't just that, well, I get my faith, my inner thoughts really right, and then all my actions just tumble out. No, that's not what it says. It's partly true, but there's a promise in there that those actions themselves, those ordinary, everyday normal Christian actions that you choose to put one step out of bed when you feel depressed and you make a cup of tea and you choose to open your Bible and you choose to come to Kings when actually the last thing you want to do is to be around people and you choose to give and you choose to serve and you choose to turn up and you choose to listen and to do your best to incarnate Christ's love. As you do this, The great other secret that we look at is the Christian life is not a a life of just sort of intellectual beliefs. It is a life of intense, it's of a thousand practical, physical, small, but massively significant decisions and choices you make with your life that when you look back and you go, thank God, thank God I did do that one thing. Because the domino effect For the rest of my life, I shudder to think if I hadn't turned up at that thing or done that moment there or gone over to that person. This is amazing news because actually when things are mysterious and difficult, often the whole point is you can't do the things that you want to do. Often the point it's mysterious is because it feels like there's this thing that's kind of blocking the way. But what Abraham had discovered was that, yeah, there probably is this thing you can't control. Like the Apostle Paul, most of his life seemed to be in prison, right? (laughs) And what does he do? He sings at the top of his voice, and he learns to rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't theologicize rejoicing in the Lord. He actually opens his lips, and he rejoices in the Lord. Now, this is massive for us. It says here, look with me, it says, His faith and his works, this is verse 22, they were working together. It's almost like an old couple. I love this image. You know, it's faith, internal realm, and then there's his, and his actions. And they were working together, like this beautiful, faith-filled couple who have learned to work together, right? You know, when you meet certain couples, and you're like, he's great, and yeah, she's great, but man, together, they just work they're more than the sum of their parts. There's a kind of uh, an amazing thing happening when they, they're together. And you know, sometimes some of us can get into sort of the, the paralysis of analysis, right? We always just think about is the internal, the faith, the, the beliefs. And I can't do anything. I won't do anything until I'm definitely totally clear. In fact, it would be irresponsible to do anything. It's not entirely wrong. 
But what this, gives, what this is saying is but that there are always things that we can do, actions that we can do, that actually they are working for us. They're like alive. They're not just something we do to get done. They, 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 there's a gift in them. When we talk at Kings about serving and give your life away, get involved with serving, we're not saying it's because we've got lots of rosters to be filled, although there are lots of rosters. Sorry, rotors. I'm back in England now. Rotors, not rosters. What's a roster? But the real win is that the secret is that, is that, there's a, is that when you serve, there is a gift. That it, it's working for you. You get something back more than even you give. And look at this amazing promise here. They're working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. It was literally dependent on his actions. So can I just use a long word for a moment? You, you might have heard this. Gnosticism. Gnosticism. So we, we come out of it. We are of a Judeo-Christian worldview, okay? That's what this church believes in, which means we love spirit and body. The Greeks, as you probably know, and a certain type of Greek thought, which was Gnosticism, which was spirit good, body bad. We can often still secretly think that. So we just think our Christian life is all about more thoughts. I come to church, I think about the great talk, and then I leave. I think, I think, I think, I think. What this is saying, no, 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 no. No, no. We have bodies that actually go to work. So when, so I remember famously someone criticizing Terry Virgo for New Frontiers as it was starting in the 60s and 70s and everyone was getting filled with the Holy Spirit and we'd come together. And in a newspaper or in an article, someone said, oh, you guys just come and you always just, you know, you put your hands in the air and you're just always happy. And we all know that's not true, right? So you're just hypocrites was the challenge. And Terry thought for a moment and then said, it is true that when we come and we choose to praise and we choose to put our hands in the air and we choose to turn up and we choose to smile and focus on the promises rather than my emotion, it is true that in a sense we start in the flesh. But I tell you this, almost every time we finish in the Spirit. And that is a lesson that is a lesson about the use of your body and your being to disciple your inner life, to disciple your soul into the truth that we need to hear again and again. Because this is the truth. Christianity is more like an apprenticeship than an ivory tower academic thing. So the difference is this. If you're, if you're doing an apprenticeship, like it could be in a way a doctor, so Jenny Genders, what lots of doctors say Doctors, they, they learn stuff, but then they observe and they practice stuff in the presence of an expert again and again and again. It's a bit like with plumbers, electricians, mechanics. It's not just about the academic inner realm. It's about actually, if we said to Jenny, How, hey, Jenny, how's it going being a doctor this week? How's your patience? And she went, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't actually see any patients. They're just annoying. I, uh, I just read a lot. I've just got a really great inner inner being. I'm so clever. I just know everything about blood cells, but I don't ever actually see people. To be, now I don't know what she would technically be, but she wouldn't really be a doctor, right? 
To be a doctor, by its definition, means its combo of inner life and the practical. 10,000 times taking someone's temperature. 10,000 times learning to listen well to what they're saying. 10,000 times turning up, listening to someone, and learning. The Christian life is an apprenticeship, which means, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to say the Lord is saying the small but significant actions you take again and again and again and again are so much more profound than you or I probably realize. That God is at work. God is doing things even when we don't feel like it. I'll, I'll never forget um, years ago, I was a young Christian and I, I was going through a real crisis of faith and I, to be honest with you, I, 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 you know, I, yeah, anyway, long story, but I, I was in a, a place where I barely believed in God. But I'd signed up to help at this sort of Christian event called Stonely. Why I did, I never know. And so I turn up all pretty depressed, to be honest with you, and I'm, I'm helping with the youth, which is, they're really enthusiastic. So I was just like, oh, great. And the subject is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And my story was I felt... Uh, for a long time, when people were prayed to be filled with the Spirit. Now, God broke through, and that's all changed. But at this point, it was a sort of perfect storm of, of subjects and places I didn't really want to be. And I remember standing there, and thought, okay, you know, uh, if you want to be prayed for to be filled with the Spirit, this is your chance. And all these 18-year-olds kind of went out to the ministry team, and I was on the ministry team uh, with my lanyard. And uh, I, rem- <laughs> I remember just literally in raw obedience, putting my hands on, on the appropriate part of this young man's body, on his shoulders, and started to pray, Holy Spirit. You know, in my head, I'm thinking, God, I, I'm not sure you're real, but no, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, would you fill this young man now? Would you come? And instantly, the power of God fell on this young guy. He started beaming like a Cheshire cat. He started giggling. He started just obviously to be tangibly filled with the presence of God. And there's me standing there thinking, what the heck? My prayers are amazing. And I learned something in that moment. And obviously, his joy, his bubble, his energy was infectious. And I I left so blessed because I'd, I'd literally done it in obedience. So the question is, what small steps might the Lord have for you? What thoughts, first point, what thoughts are maybe God's thoughts? I have in my Google Calendar, I uh, use Google Calendar, I write now down new thoughts. I capture them. If the law, if I am in a situation where I would have catastrophized and there's new, positive, hope-filled little thoughts, I will write them down in my calendar to say, give glory to God. Okay? Practical. But when it comes to your actions, what actions might there be that the Lord is saying, you can, yes, you can't do this. There's a mysterious challenge, but you, you can do this. You can rejoice in the Lord. You can still pray. You can still turn up to that life group that you're tempted to step back on. You, you can come and serve in a, in a team. You can talk to yourself and build yourself up in your most holy faith. The Lord wants to, I believe, actually just come and say, you know, the, secret, the second secret in Abraham's life. And this is the other thing about Abraham. 
what are these actions? It says his faith and his actions were working together. What are the actions that we know of that we're told completed his faith? They were that important? Well, basically, he, he made so many mistakes, which are recorded in the Bible. At this moment, he's doing an amazing action. He's actually, you know, uh, obediently taking his son up. But before that, it's not like there's, his life was action-packed with all these amazing things we should try and do. It was just the normal, average things that every Christian is called to do. We praise, we worship, we gather, we break bread, we forgive, we give, we serve, we take solitude, we have silence, we Sabbath. Amen? Oh, friends, we have so much that the Lord wants to remind us. And if some of you are in times where, a time even now where you're just feeling like, I, I, I do feel that it's just marked by disorientation and maybe even some mystery. I just believe the kindness of our Lord would just say, what are the few things you can do? What are the few things you can do? Because I want to even now lift your faith that even those small things, the promise here is that his faith was completed it's completed by what he did. He became a doctor, not just by studying and thinking, but by those little things that he did that over his life made him into the man that God was making him. Finally, and with this we really will finish, the third key we see here in terms of God-empowered obedience was his friendship. It says here, just as a throwaway line, um, and he was called God's friend. Hallelujah. I mean, this hardly needs me to say anything. But if you know about Abraham's life, without me um, depressing us all, just go back and read Genesis 12 and how he treated his wife. Just see how this guy fails, like Tom Shaw. Look at him and allow perhaps even a sense of righteous indignation and frustration at him to rise up and then realize, of course, but thereby by the grace of God go I. I am no different to Abraham. And so when it says that despite Abraham's failures, despite Abraham's selfishness and his cowardice that you see all over his life, despite all of that, which if, you know, if Abraham was humanly my friend, I might be tempted just to say, I don't actually want to be your friend anymore. If anyone treats his wife like that, I don't really want to be around you, to be honest with you, buddy. It's really not okay. But what we see is that the Christian God, Yahweh, Jesus, he never lets him go. Amen? He knows. He knows exactly the sins that Abraham was going to sin in. He knew them. And he knew that they were real. And he knows your sins, the sins that you have committed or you may commit. He knows them. And because of the cross, because of our friend Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, because he was crucified and he was cursed, you and I will forever be blessed. Hallelujah. It isn't logical. Your behavior, can, no matter how bad, can never now snatch you out of the hand of Jesus. No matter how bad you muck up, there is nothing that is stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? amen? Nothing. Hallelujah. You need to hear this, friends. We need to know that the church of Jesus Christ 
is not just like a little pussycat. We come as the Lion of Judah, and this world is tearing itself apart, and the world is in agony, and the world is both suffering and sinner. It's both, like all of us. It is both being sinned against and then in the same moment sinning. And we can rise up saying, he's our friend. He's our friend. The holy God of the universe, brighter than the sun. He calls us his friend. He is kind. He is patient. He will never let you go. He is faithful to the end. Abraham was such a muck up in so many ways. But I just think by this chance, he was like, Lord, you are my friend. I can't call you my friend, but you call me your friend. There is no greater joy, no greater joy for us to realize that he calls us his friends. I remember years ago as a fairly young Christian, I was so worried about something and I was praying and asking God to help me this thing that was happening in the morning and he did. And then he was so faithful. I remember that very afternoon going out and sinning because sin is pleasurable. And I chose to sin. And I just felt, you know, inevitably racked with guilt. And it hit me. It hit me that the same moment in the morning, I was crying out to my father, would you bless me? Would you bless me? Would you give me your favor, as we've heard today? Please give me your favor, God. I need your favor. And he was saying, yes, yes, I'm going to give you that which you don't deserve, Tom. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come through for you. In the same moment, he knew about the afternoon. He knew it. And he didn't hold back and go, well, well, well I would, but what's going to happen? It's going to mean I can't really do that with your conscience. It wouldn't be fair. Hallelujah. He's so overflowing. This is why as Christians, we choose to dance. We choose to worship. We choose to ultimately, yes, be aware of our own selves, but get our eyes on the King of grace. We get our eyes on the Lord of glory. It's so mysterious. It's so strange, but so glorious. It is our only hope. And this is why James talks about it. If you're going to work with the poor, you need to not see them as them and us. We're all in it together. Hallelujah. I'm as broken as anyone. I don't judge. Well, I do, but he forgives me when I do. When I do. He is our friend and he's with you. And we can bring every single thing that we might be afraid to confess to him. He's unshockable, totally unshockable. Even though our sins are real, he says, no, I, I'm for you. Hallelujah. This is reason to praise. Oh, my Hallelujah. Should we stand to our feet? Come on, friends. He knows your frame. Hallelujah. He knows our frame. He knows how we are made. He knows our limits. But he did a miracle in that old man on the mountain. But you know what? He, he, he didn't just want to do it once. He wants to do it today. And tomorrow, and again, he wants a people who know the secret of God-empowered obedience. So right now, would you, if you feel like, yeah, there is something in me that feels kind of listening in, would you just open your hands? I want to pray for us today in a posture to say, actually, I desperately need, whoa, I desperately need spirit-empowered obedience. If this is down to my willpower, 
I am sunk. I need the Lord of glory. I need the Lord of glory. For some of you, even right now, I believe the whole thought life thing. There is a, it's almost just like, I think it was Spurgeon who said, pray more for a grain of true faith than a ton of excitement. Pray more for a grain of true faith than a ton of excitement. For some of you, there's just this little grain. I can almost see it. Like, you know, that picture of pregnant Abraham? He had taken decades to get there. Decades of failure and knowing the grace of God. Oh, right now, I feel like the Spirit, He is wanting to impregnate us. Can I say that? I'm not getting in trouble with the elders. He wants to deeply go to work in our hearts, in our bones. Oh, ah, Holy Spirit. In a room like this, there are many carrying, honestly, challenges and mysteries and things that are just a bit heavy on my own. Oh, and we confess we so quickly forget to invite you in. I do anyway. So Lord of glory, would you roar in our hearts afresh today? We don't just ask for a polite British measure. Let the wine run over. My cup overflows. What? That sounds a bit, a little bit irresponsible. Let the wine overflow right now. Just receive. Hallelujah. Some of you, despair is just going from, I can see it's like, it has been in like uh, technicolor and it's becoming just black and white. It's still there, but it's just starting to fade. Whoa. The shame some of you carry. The inner critic some of you carry where you compare yourself. Oh, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm not enough. Right now, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I break shame at this church. Enough! Lord, you, you died for every single man, woman, and child here. You don't want us with our heads down. You want us to stand before you with boldness. And I pray, mighty King, in the waiting, in the waiting, bring hearts back to life. Let dry bones rise up. Start the fire crackling again. Maybe, 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 maybe. What's your maybe? There's dreams that are starting to come back. It's it's scary to dream, I get it. I get it, man. I'm with you. It really hurts when they don't happen. But there's hope. There's hope coming. There's hope coming. There's hope coming like a deer to the water. She's drinking for the first time. She's drinking for the first time. For the gospel is the hope of the nations. It's not optimism. It's gospel hope. And he's coming to his bride. He's coming to his bride. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Keep receiving. I don't know what we're going to do, but Marcus is wonderfully in charge, so I'll let him steer us. Just keep receiving. Let's just keep your hearts being warmed.